You may be seated. My dream car during my high school years was an Italian sports car. It was a Fiat 124 Spider, and I found one for sale at a local car lot near my home. It was red, and it had one wood grain paneling, leather seats, convertible. I really wanted that car, and I was determined to sign on the dotted line. But wisely, I thought, well, maybe I better have Dad come take a look at it. He was very mechanically minded and knew much about these things. He worked on airplanes in the Air Force. So I said, Dad, come and look at this car. Dad said, sure. And so we went down to the car lot, and I showed it to him as a sweet car. And, of course, he did what dads typically do. He walked around, kicked the tires, looked under the hood, looked in the trunk, examined it, got in it, and he took me aside and... I could tell by my dad's tone of voice and the words he used, he was trying to balance letting his son make his own decisions with preventing his son from making a really, really bad one. And he said, Tim, I urge you, in few words, walk away. And my heart sank. It's hard to hear, even harder to do. But I knew my dad knew more about these things than I did. I trusted his judgment. And so I turned around and I walked away. And I believe my dad's strong recommendation, his exhortation, his earnest encouragement for me to walk away saved me all kinds of heartache. I believe had I bought that car, I would have spent more time in the shop with it than in it looking really cool. And the Apostle Paul, in the same degree, but even more, urged the Ephesians not to walk away from something, but to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which they had been called. And that can mean a lot of things and does mean a lot of things, but the immediate concern the Apostle Paul had for the Ephesian church was that they walk in unity, that they would be who they are in Christ, spiritually one. And today we want to look at this exhortation that Paul gave the Ephesians and consider how he's speaking to us as if we were there in Ephesus in the first century. Be who you are, Paul says. Be spiritually one. Now just as a reminder, there are two main sections to the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are doctrinal, orthodoxy, right doctrine, glorious truths about the the riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus. And then the second section begins with chapter 4 and goes through the end of the book, chapter 6, that is orthopraxis, right living. In light of these glorious truths, this then is how we should live. So be, live, 
like who you are, the facts about who we are in Christ Jesus. Our being should and must inform our doing. Now, having given that little bit of a reminder of the book of Ephesians and the two sections, let us now begin the second session, the second section about right living, beginning with chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And as we look at this passage, I suggest to you that it's be broken down into three sections. Yes, another three-point sermon, but I think the text guides us here. The exhortation that Paul gives to walk worthy, the manner of walking worthy, and then the basis for walking worthy. And we'll look at these three aspects of this passage. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to this, this text, as we begin this, this new section of this letter that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write to those Ephesian believers, we take it as your word to us today through Paul. Our Father, I pray that you would impress upon us the, this exhortation to be who we are in Christ Jesus, to be spiritually one. And I pray, oh God, that you might guide me as I preach, that you might guide us as we hear, enabling each to be faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first point, exhortation to walk worthy, verse 1. Paul exhorts them, the Ephesians, and us to be who we are in Christ, to be spiritually one. And Paul begins with, with this phrase, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Of course, Paul is in prison. This is one of his uh, letters from prison. But he's also for the Lord, which, which Paul is saying here is that I have authority as an apostle. I am a prisoner. I'm a bondservant. I'm not only physically under house arrest, but I am a bondservant of Christ. He has called me to be his apostle. And so we see a note of Paul's authority to urge, to exhort the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so he begins, I therefore urge you to walk. And it's interesting, as we've said many, many times before, that that, that word therefore is so important in light of what has been said previously in chapters 1 through 3, and specifically in chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul speaks about the, the powerful, redeeming work of Jesus Christ, not only reconciling sinners to God, but reconciling sinners to one another, Jew and Gentile, come together in peace. They're reconciled relationally, 
And because of that peace that Jesus brings, because of that that unity that Jesus brings, they are established into this one new humanity, the church. So the Apostle Paul says, therefore, in light of all of these glorious truths that we've considered in chapters 1 through 3, and, and this new humanity, the church that Jesus has established, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I'd like for us to to drill down a little bit deeper into several of the words and phrases of verse 1. The the verb to urge could be translated to strongly recommend an action or to exhort someone to do something, to earnestly encourage someone to do something. I see in this verb the Apostle Paul has a sense of of urgency that the Ephesians hear what he is saying and that they quickly respond and act accordingly. Very much like you see someone walking and they're going to walk right right off a cliff and kill themselves and you just shout, stop, you urge them, stop now. And I think the same intensity is what the Apostle Paul is is represented here that He wants the Ephesians to see the significance, the importance, the the urgency of walking in a manner worthy of the calling. Let's look at this word walk. It primarily means in the Greek to, to walk in a specified manner. It's not just simply going out on a stroll with no purpose. No, it's walking intentionally. There is a particular manner in which we are to walk. And the specified manner, that is, that which governs the way the Ephesians walk, we might say is represented in that phrase, the calling in which you have been called. That's the manner in which these Ephesians are to walk. That's what's to govern them. And the calling in which you have been called is simply all those glorious and beautiful and rich doctrinal truths that the Apostle Paul has expounded in chapters 1 through 3. And particularly that latter section in chapter 2 where, and also the first part of chapter 3 where Paul just drills down in, into this beautiful reality of God redeeming sinners and making them one in the church. Orthopraxis, right living, flows out of orthodoxy, right doctrine. It's proved right here in verse 1 of chapter 4. Being governs doing. (laughs) Who we are in Christ, being governs how we walk our doing. I think I may have used this illustration before, but I'll use it again. I'm known to do that from time to time. But one of my favorite movies is The Patriot. And it's a fictional movie that's that's about the Revolutionary War period. And, and one particular part in that movie, General Corn Wallace is really upset and really disgusted with one of his commanders, Colonel Tavington, because Tavington was using very brutal and ungentlemanly 
like methods as he fought the colonial army, even using brutal tactics, brutal tactics against the citizens. And so Cornwallis rebukes Tabington by saying this, you serve me and the manner in which you serve me reflects me. And then Cornwallis urged Tavington, basically, get in line. You serve as an officer under me in a way that honors me, in a way that is worthy of being under my command. The movie goes on and Tavington didn't listen to one word he said. <laughs> He's a really bad person. But I would like to suggest that we take Cornwallis's rebuke and we change it as if Jesus were speaking and we change it to fit the context of this passage. You have been reconciled to God and one another through me to be spiritually one body, the church. And the manner in which you behave as one body reflects me. And I'm impressed with the fact that the Apostle Paul is urging the Ephesian believers to be who they are in Christ, be spiritually one for their good, right? It is for our good that we are one and we pursue being spiritually one as brothers and sisters in Christ but there's something even more important than our good it is Jesus's honor and Jesus's glory to the extent that we are who we are in Christ and for the purposes of this context we be spiritually one we faithfully reflect the glory of Christ and his redeeming gospel that has reconciled us to God and reconciled us to one another. And so Paul urges us to behave, to walk in a manner that reflects the gospel Our behavior reflects who we are in Christ and reflects Christ, should reflect Christ to the world. Well, Paul turns to the the exhortation itself and he begins to tell us how how we are to walk, particularly the manner of our walk. What does it look like to to obey Paul's exhortation and actually walk in a worthy way. Look at verses 2 through 3. It was really difficult for me to hear my dad said, say, walk away. Because in walking away, it meant I did not have that red Italian sports car that I really had my heart set on. In an instant, I had to make a decision. Am I going to purchase this car or am I going to die to it because I trust what my father has said. It's hard to hear. It was even harder to do. 
And so we may just, if we just stop here, you hear this exhortation, walk, walk in a manner worthy of calling in which you have been called, you kind of go, oh man, that sounds incredibly spiritual. We all want to be spiritual. Yeah, I, I think I can do that. But then <laughs> when you look at uh, verses 2 and 3, you start drilling down on, on Paul saying, okay, this is what I call you to do, and this is how you do it. Oh my. From a human perspective, it looks very difficult because the manner of walking worthy Being spiritually one means we have to die to a whole lot of things, individually and corporately. And that is really hard to do. Well, here is how we be who we are. I hope there are no English grammar folk here today, but this is a sermon and alliteration is important, right? First of all, Paul says, the worthy walk is with all humility. Notice, he he didn't say with some humility. (laughs) I wish he did. But with all humility. And and humility, as as one commentator said, I I love this. Humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you have lost it. And then another commentator said, humility has been called the first, second, and third essential of the Christian Life, mind, there must be something important about humility as it pertains to unity, and I think there is. And a definition for humility can simply be this someone who is not self seeking is unselfish and eager to serve others. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on humility and other, these other virtues, but simply give a brief a comment about them and then read a scripture about them. Can't go wrong with that, right? So here's the scripture for humility. When I think of humility, I immediately go, in my mind, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then Paul says, then Paul gives as an example of one who was humble. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The worthy walk is walking with this type of humility, eagerness to serve others even unto death. And secondly, gentleness. This is all in verses 2 and 3. The worthy walk is a gentle walk or a meek walk. And a gentle person would rather suffer a wrong than inflict one. A a gentle person says, naturally, I have no rights, and so I don't need to champion my rights over somebody else's rights. And whatever rights I have are by God's grace. A gentle person sees his power under control, and especially under God's control. And if you want to talk about power, let's talk about Jesus. If you want to talk about gentleness, let's talk about Jesus. And let's talk about this verse in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29. Jesus said, take the one with all power, says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
A worthy walk is a walk of gentleness like this. And then the worthy walk is with all patience or being long-suffering. And I define patience, or one way to define patience is just simply self-restraint, which does not seek to retaliate. You know, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul viewed himself as the foremost of sinners. And, but he also understood how patient Jesus is or was with him as the foremost of sinners. And he says this in 1 Timothy 1.16, But I received mercy from this, for this reason, that in me as the foremost, foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The worthy walk is with all patience like Jesus has with Paul and with us. And then the worthy walk is with all love. But notice, it's with all enduring love. With love that is bearing with one another. <laughs> love is not just simply you know, putting up with, with someone. <laughs> but the, the, the love that, that Paul is talking about here... The love that is true biblical love is not putting up, but it's deep affection. Deep affection in and from our hearts. In Colossians 3, Paul kind of brings all of these virtues and more together in one passage. In verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Beautiful passage. From Colossians 3, I think it gets right at the very heart of what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4, 2. And then the definition of love, John 4. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Blood, if God so loved us, we also ought to. To love one another, and I would add, with an enduring love. A love that does not fade or fail. And then Paul moves on to verse 3, where he begins talking about the worthy walk as one of eagerness to maintain unity in the bond of peace. And here's, here's the fact. There there is no unity in the church without there being peace between sinners and God and between sinners, without there being reconciliation. And we see this in a passage we've already studied back in Ephesians chapter 2, but I'll read it again for us today because it, it just helps us understand what, what Paul is saying here about 
eagerness to maintain unity in the bond of peace. For he himself is our peace, Ephesians 2, verse 14, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. It is that bond of peace, Jesus reconciling us, bringing peace, doing away with the hostility between sinners and God and between sinners that brings this peace that we are to rest in that leads to unity. There can be no unity without this bond of peace. And this bond of peace is not something that we create. It's something that Jesus has established. He has done it. And we are to maintain what Jesus has already done. Peace leads to unity. And I would command to you that love leads to peace. And when we look at humility and gentleness and patience and love, all of that comes together. And then you throw in there peace to bring about this glorious unity that we have. We maintain what Jesus has already done. The the walking worthy means that we walk in humility Gentleness, patience, love, thereby maintaining peace, which promotes unity. That's what Paul is saying. And the matter of walking like this is difficult to do. Our natural inclination is not humility, but pride, me first. Not gentleness, but seeking power to control others, to protect our rights. Not patience, but getting even when wrong, quickly. Not bearing with one another in love, but loving ourselves first at the expense of others. This worthy walk in Christ means dying to self and to our control and our leverage over others. It means seeking the good of others to maintain peace that will promote unity. Where might we be urged to walk in a worthy manner here at Covenant? Humility, where is God calling you to and calling me to empty self and put others first here in our church? Gentleness, where is God calling you and calling me to be willing and to prefer to suffer a wrong instead of inflicting one? Where is God calling you and me to exercise patience, restraint, and not be so quick to retaliate when someone offends us? And love, where is God calling you to have an abiding affection? Where is He calling me 
to bear with others in love and not merely put up with them. It may be hard to hear, it's even harder to do in our own strength. But this is the manner in which we are to walk. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, maintaining peace that promotes unity. And God doesn't call us to something without giving us the ability and the power to do it. And he shows us that this, that he's done that very thing right here. Because the third and last point, the basis for walking worthy. The ultimate basis for walking worthy is the Trinity. One God, we read from Deuteronomy 6, we're a monotheist, one God, but we know that the scriptures show us that, that we believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. We have unity, and it's described as one body, meaning the church of Jesus Christ, and there's one spirit, that is to say that the church of Jesus Christ is not a product of man, but it's a product of the, of, of the work of the spirit in and, and through the elect, the third person of the Trinity comes and regenerates dead sinners, applies the redeeming and reconciling work to that sinner and dwells them. This unity is based on the power and work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 5. We have, have another triad here, one Lord, uh, one Faith and one baptism, by the way, the, the triad that I just spoke about says that, that those who are in with the Spirit have one hope of eternal life. We share that as well. But now verse 5, this second triad, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I like the way Hendrickson, Dr. Hendrickson explains this. One Lord in whom we all believe and in whose name we have been baptized. In other words, verse 5 is pointing to the work of the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And then we have in verse 6, the first person of the Trinity, one God and Father, the Father of all, the Father over all, the Father of the household of faith. So the basis of this worthy walk is the power that is available to us from our triune God. God has called us, Christ has reconciled us, the Spirit is empowering us today. And remember that prayer in, in, in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, where the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would be strengthened in the inner man through faith by the, by the Holy Spirit, flooding their hearts with the powerful love of Christ to overflowing so, so they will just wonder and marvel over the height, the breadth, the length, the depth of the love of Christ and it overflows in their heart. And then in verse 21, the Apostle Paul prays, and because of this, God will work in and through you and things will come about that you simply can never imagine. That's how great and marvelous. And you know what? Sometimes we think it is impossible for me to be reconciled to this other believer. There is too much damage done but Paul says that through the power and grace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that which seems impossible to us, that relationship that seems too far gone, too deeply broken, 
can be restored. Paul urges us to be who we are as those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, united to him, reconciled to one another, gathered into this one new humanity, the church. He reminds us of the manner in which we must walk. Humanly speaking, looks very difficult. But the basis of this walk is our triune God who empowers us to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be loving, to maintain peace that promotes unity. Who we are in Christ, be who you are, be spiritually one. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this exhortation. We thank you that you not only call us to walk in this way, you not only show us how we are to walk in this way, but you remind us of the power that we have to, to walk in a manner worthy of this unbelievable, incredible calling in which we have been called, called to be in Christ members of the one body, the church. Father, I pray that you would cause us to see the urgency of this exhortation, cause us to respond to it by faith, and seek and ask for and receive the power that is for us to walk worthy and reflect in our behavior the glorious, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, cause us to maintain peace and to promote unity here at Covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.